Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Having one of those weeks where nothing's going right, well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my studious and educated friend, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Zach. Uh, yeah, I, I am studious and educated, I guess. Uh, I'm also not having a crappy week, so that's good. Uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, all things all things looking good over here. How are you doing uh, yourself, Zach? I'm good. I had a pretty chill week. Can't really complain. We do have our little weather updates, and the weather's been decent here. A little rainy, but not the torrential downpour it usually is at this time of year. So I had yeah. a pretty chill week. I was just on the Community Building Podcast this morning with our, um, I guess, network head in a way of Post Show Recaps, Josh Wiggler, alongside Jess Sterling and Brooklyn Zed. And that was a lot of fun, and they already dropped that podcast, which is crazy to me. They dropped it within like 30 <laughs> minutes of it like being recorded which surprised me so yeah it was that was a lot of fun i'd highly recommend listening to that if you like community or even if you don't you just want to hear some chit chat it's not as like it wasn't the most comprehensive podcast but it was a grand old time and we had a lot of fun on that yeah i'm super excited to check that one out lydia and i are actually doing a rewatch of community right now which is uh yeah started with the community uh building podcast i was like oh i should rewatch the show i hadn't visited it in a while and it is uh it's pretty good so i'm excited to check out your appearance there yeah i've been rewatching it as well especially in preparation for the community building podcast and like some jokes don't necessarily age well but most of it does and i, I upon a rewatch i'm like wow some of the stuff they were doing because like when i first watched community i hadn't even seen a lot of things so like i didn't get mm-hmm. a lot of the references necessarily but now upon a rewatch i'm like wow i see a lot of the stuff that i missed on my first couple of times watching it yeah, yeah. I actually was going to say that as well. Like the meta jokes are a lot funnier now that I've seen more TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, like previously, I, you know, had watched like a bunch of kids shows and then like, you know, Office, uh, 30 Rock, Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. But now that I've seen like uh, many more shows, like the jokes uh, are a little bit funnier. So yeah, uh, great podcast there. Yeah, um, I feel very show, similarly, but, yeah. but we're not going to focus on the Community Rewatch podcast because we nope. got a little rewatch podcast of our own here talking about book one, episode 16, if that's correct, The Deserter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is rebounding from the bad string of episodes. I think we're getting back to good Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, complex side characters, uh, a few funny jokes. Uh, yeah, I think, I think this is a good podcast or sorry, a good episode. Hopefully it's a good podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's I think to be I, determined, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see about that one. Uh, I think that the, uh, thing I like the most about this is it makes Admiral Zhao a really good villain, uh, going into the season finale. I feel like here we get a lot of the, his motivation and we see kind of like, 
his flaws in a way uh, that he's too headstrong. And I think that that makes this episode uh, a good one for a rewatch. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I agree completely. And like, I forgot about how well done over care for lack of a better term, Zhang Zhang is as a character. Yeah. And also how this episode sets the stage for a lot of the things that we see going forward. Like this is the first showcase of, uh, Katara's healing abilities, which will be a big part of their journey going forward as well. The fact that she's able to heal anything pretty much with this water. And it's a quality that only the most powerful of waterbenders usually possess, which makes sense. Cause as the series goes on, like I always say, Katara is extremely powerful, especially like yeah. season three Katara, like is probably the most like strong waterbender in the whole series, I'd say, or at least it's up there in terms of waterbending ability. And yeah, just the relationship between Aang and Jiangjiang, I really enjoyed all of that. And I completely agree. Last episode, by far the worst episode of Avatar to me. And I think I've <laughs> you in the pre-show in hindsight i should have given it an even lower score i should have agreed with you and gone with a two because i don't think we're gonna hit a low like that going forward and i think it's all uphill from here and this was a great episode of the right direction and is 100 percent a rebound so yeah yeah i co-signed everything you just said yeah so let's jump in here i'm excited to get started on this mm-hmm. one uh, yeah, so this episode opens with Momo just gliding around uh, in the forest, jumping from tree to tree. Momo, yeah, Momo looks like he's having a good time uh, and lands on uh, an information station. Uh, I don't really, I don't know the official word for this, um, but it's like, it's like a setup that has like a bunch of posters and billboards uh, that people could like put stuff on. Yeah, it's like the community bulletin board in a way. Almost. Yeah, bulletin board. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't think of that word, but there, yeah, uh, the bulletin board. And this bulletin board has information on a full-on carnival. Uh, it's got lots of stuff going on. Uh, there's like jugglers, benders, magicians, uh, lots of fun things. And yeah, Zach, I, the first question I want to ask is, have you ever been to a fair like this? Yeah, I've never really been to a circus, but I've been to like festivals with like people doing random stuff like this. I've kind of been to something like this. Not exactly the same vein. I have seen a lot. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but because I grew up in Vancouver, which I think has the highest Chinese population outside of Canada, I have seen okay. like traditional dragon festivals and like those like dragons that, you know what I mean? Like those like Chinese dragons mm-hmm. that are super colorful and stuff. They have one yeah. that opens up the scene. And I've always thought those like, dra- I don't know what they exact term for them but they're really cool like those dragons that people like walk around with and like they're super long and intimidating looking and very colorful yeah no they uh those are like super cool um yeah i've only seen uh i believe one in the chinatown here in chicago Mm -hmm. Uh, but they are super cool yeah i've never been to one of these uh like festival carnival type things the one that i had gone to i was super excited it was like a pop-up fair it was supposed to be this sort of thing like it had some carnival attractions uh some like people doing magic some like people doing tricks and stuff uh but it was super lame like no one was there uh there's only like one person on one stage and they came like every hour and they did like a different act so they weren't really good at any one thing uh so it was a disappointment so i was really hoping that uh you had been to a few of these so i could live vicariously through you. <laughs> sadly i don't have any crazy stories i mean i don't have a terrible experience <laughs> at any of these but it's kind of you've been to one of them you've been to all of them basically depends yeah, on the yeah. acts that are performing in a way 
So, um, but on the other side of this bulletin board is a wanted poster for Aang. And they also have a wanted poster for the Blue Spirit, I found interesting Mm -hmm. as well. So they have that, and that's what the group and them notice. So then they realize they're going to have to don some disguises. Katara and Sokka opt for like these sleek black cloaks. I wonder where did they even get these from? These like hoodies, essentially, that they have. Yeah, I'm not sure because these uh, black cloaks are not at all uh, mm-hmm. something that they would wear in the Water Tribe. So it almost looks like they picked them up somewhere along the way. But this seems like a color that no one wears in the Avatar universe. So. Not really sure. I think it's easier to say where Aang gets his uh, <laughs> cloak from because he just takes his orange uh, little like uh, sweater shawl yeah, tunic yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, and he puts it over his head, and he looks absolutely absurd. <laughs> uh, not a very good uh, disguise. You know what for he him. looks like? He looks like when you're in elementary school and you don't have like a hood or anything, so you put like your t-shirt over your, your t-shirt. Head. Yeah. yeah, that's what he does. So yeah, yeah. And, oh, continue, Jacob. Yeah, like that was the the go-to move. Like I just thought that that was a good call. Yeah, and I don't know why Aang is so bad when it comes to disguises. Like you think like and I think they do a good job with this in like season two and season three, but season one, Aang just strolls up to his village these villages. His tattoos are just like straight up almost in the open. Like he doesn't his disguise game is quite weak, and he's immediately found out because of that, as we see in uh, this scene. I mean Mr. Pippin Popsicopalopagus was like a pretty good disguise. Like I feel like he got uh he got through until he gave himself away with the air bending. <laughs> he does the same thing here. Like I don't think anyone was gonna look at him. No one was gonna know that he was actually uh that he was actually Aang until he does air bending. So really his downfall is that he just can't stop bending. That's true, but I feel like he also got lucky that this festival is very mask centric in a way. That is fair, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, we stand masks on this podcast, so uh, (laughs) we would love a mask-centric festival as long as it's like the the CDC kind. Yeah, 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 definitely. We are pro-mask on this podcast. We will (laughs) take that stance. We can definitely take that stance against all others. So they enter this Fire Nation town while this festival is going on, but right as they're entering, this mysterious hooded figure is following the gang. Who could it be? We'll see yeah. in the next uh, couple scenes. And this guy, he's not wearing a regular mask like the rest of the people. So as soon as they enter the town, they realize that most people are wearing these masks over their faces. Uh, and Sokka's like, where can we get a mask? And a vendor's right there, right behind him in time to say like, oh, hey, you can get a mask here. Um, which is like perfect timing, of course. Uh, but yeah, this this one guy who's like creeping in the background, being a little creepo depot, is <laughs> not wearing a mask himself. Uh, yeah he's not and he looks almost more out of place than even they do because he also has like this like black or dark brown cloak and yeah then I, oh continue yeah like uh i was gonna say like you know he is running away from the fire nation like it seems like he would want to hide his his uh you know persona but yeah he does not really seem too concerned he puts on the black cloak and he doesn't even go to the nice vendor and get a mask yeah, yeah, and I found that really odd. Maybe the that's a goof on the writer's part. Who knows? But then one thing I have a question for you, and we have so we have this funny scene of like Sokka, they they buy the mask, and then Sokka also buys <laughs> these flaming fire flakes, which he yes. like quickly scarfs down, and they burn him. What pepper do you think they use to make these flakes? Do you think they're using ghost peppers here? 
Ooh, yeah. Uh, maybe a little ghost pepper, uh, like a little pepper X. I know I think that's the spiciest one at this point. Uh, I was actually going to ask, it, uh, like, if you've ever eaten any ghost pepper stuff uh, yourself, Zach. No, I haven't. I mean, my spice tolerance is okay. I'm not going to claim I have the best spice tolerance ever, but I do like spicy food. But I haven't had any of these, like, super hot things on ghost pepper or, like, like a ghost pepper or anything like that. And I think if I was on hot ones, I'd probably fail at the bomb. Like a lot of celebrities yeah, do. Yeah. For those, those who don't know hot ones, like an interview show where they take interview celebrities with like different hot sauces and the bomb is one of the final hot sauces that a lot of celebs fail on. And I think that would be my peak as well. But I do like spicy food. What about yourself? Have you yeah. ever had a ghost pepper or anything like that? Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the spicy foods. I like uh, a little bit of pain uh, eating something spicy. I think it's like <laughs> a fun, it's a fun pain. Uh, I was actually going to ask uh, if you've seen Hot Ones because the last thing, the last hot sauce that they have is called the Last Dab. Uh, it's made by the people who make Hot Ones and it's a pretty good hot sauce. I bought some, uh, we put some on some uh, chicken nuggets and we ate them with some friends and it is legitimately spicy. Uh, it is like actually quite hot. Uh, but that was like an enjoyable time. So I was going to say maybe the Fire Flakes just have a little bit of last dab on them. Yeah, man. Maybe Sean Evans is the vendor just chilling, yeah. <laughs> peddling out these. I like how they're called Flaming Fire Flakes. And then that's yeah. because Katara comments on that too. She's like, how do you, how could you not know this is hot here to soccer? <laughs> flaming, flaming Fire Flakes sounds like a bit of an overkill. Uh, like this vendor who's naming them, like I'm sure that the next booth over only has Fire Flakes. And he's like, you know what's even hotter than Fire Flakes? Flaming Fire Flakes. Uh, also, now that I've said that a bunch, it's hard to say like two times fast. Like, I feel like that's a good tongue twister. Yeah, I feel like there was a couple of those this episode. And then I have yeah. another question for you, because this is not an important plot point. But then when they get the mask, Katara switches Sokka and Aang's mask, and she opts to give Sokka the like Pagliacci, like sad clown mask, and then give Aang the happier one. So I could kind of understand why she did that, but do you have any like non-canonical reasons as to why she would do that? Just like the little fish that she has in her pocket, like you want to make up our own head <laughs> cannon here? Uh, here, let me, let me take a stab at it. I think maybe, uh, Aang told Katara about the blue spirit who saved him. And, uh, you know, Katara knows that Aang might be troubled to see it because he has lots of conflicting feelings about it. So maybe, maybe, uh, she didn't want for Aang to have to see the mask that was the blue, uh, happy face and instead put it on his face. How is that for a shot in the dark? That's actually pretty good. I thought you were going to go more comical in theory, but instead you can't, you crafted like an actually smart narrative there. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that this was just like a silly moment where, uh, it is true that Aang is a happier one and Sokka is a little bit sadder, but, uh, I, you know, let's, let's keep some more fun head cannons here. Yeah, 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 that's true. And then we get this puppet show that, again, is not that important, but it just cracked me up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was laughing just thinking, this is, I don't know why, I don't know why. This was probably the funniest episode for me, per, funniest moment in the episode for me personally. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like these children, they're watching this puppet show and it's like the Fire Lord and they're like, yay, Fire Lord. And then the Earthbender comes with a rock and they just like comically boo. And then the Fire Lord just like uses flamethrower. <laughs> just like the little puppet. It just shoots a flame out of its mouth and burns the earthbender puppet and the kids cheer. Yeah. It reminded me of the puppet show that like Shrek stumbles across in the first Shrek movie. <laughs> yes. And he like yeah. walks into the town and he like sees this like weird, like <laughs> scary looking puppet show. That's what this reminded me of. What were your thoughts on this little puppet show here? 
I think that Aang should be more concerned. You know, Aang gets worried <laughs> later that Katar is going to get burned. There's like an act of fire in this puppet show that's surrounded by a bunch of like cloth and stuff. I was just thinking logistics here. Uh, the firebender destroys the earthbender, completely burns the entire puppet. Every single puppet show that you do, you have to get a new Earthbender puppet. That's like a lot of capital. Instead, like uh, later in the Ember Island players, when they do firebending, they just throw like red ribbons essentially at someone. That has to be a more, uh, more like efficient way to do this puppet show rather than actually burning the puppet every single time. You're right, but this Fire Nation settler town just seems to have, like, money out the wazoo, essentially. They seem like a pretty affluent town. So I guess they don't care. They can just discard these Earthbender puppets and burn them all. Well, uh, yeah, I guess they don't want to reduce, reuse, recycle here because <laughs> I thought that that was like, uh, I thought that was the most offensive thing I've seen in this show is how, uh, how they're just wasting puppets. But really, that's the maybe most no regards. <laughs> it's close I, to it. It's close to it. I don't know it. if I co-side that necessarily, but <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we'll move forward here. Yeah. We, they happen upon this firebending magician who he actually invites Katara on stage for a trick. And Aang was very eager to go up on stage. Yes. One <laughs> and like one thing we have to note here is like Sokka didn't even want to go into the village. Aang was mm-hmm. the one who was like, oh, I want to go in the village, see if I can meet some firebenders and stuff. See, firebending up close. That's what Aang wanted to do. And so yep. Aang get, or Katara gets on stage and this firebending magician, his trick is to firebend this large fiery dragon and then pretend to let it lose control. And now we got some feedback here and it was like, how is Aang stupid? I think it was from Maria who said, how is Aang stupid enough to not see that this is an obvious trick and that the dragon is fake? But I'll stump for Aang a little bit here because with this guy like waving the dragon around and even Katara, like you could see through her masks, there's like fear in her eyes. Even Katara seemed a little worried here. So I can understand Aang's being compelled to jump on stage and dissipate this dragon with his airbending, which he ends up doing. But what about you, Jacob? What did you think of this? Yeah, you know, I love uh, rolling up on street performance. I think it's so fun to watch people do, like, mm-hmm. bad magic in the street and tell, like, a bunch of bad puns. Like, that that's, like, one of my favorite things. And I love the showmanship that comes with it. Like, the, you know, like, fake danger that they have with all these magic tricks. Like, that's what makes it fun. And, like, you know, if I were to just be like, oh, you know, it's all fake, it wouldn't be fun. But what's even less fun is not understanding the showmanship at all and instead thinking the danger's real. Like, Aang, like maybe Aang's like a little kid and maybe he doesn't know better. But this seems like something that he would know. He's, like, super well-traveled. It seems like he's probably seen these type of street performance before. Like, you don't need to ruin the trick. Uh, I feel like you have to have a little bit of respect for this magician. That's that's true, but actually, you because you, you are right. Aang is well-traveled and has been to, like, the Fire Nation before. But, like, for Katara and Sokka, like, if I'm them and I just see this, like, fiery dragon and all that going on, I, like, I can understand why they would see it as dangerous and not necessarily be able to see what the magician is doing with the trick. But Aang, oh, continue. Yeah, I was just disappointed in Aang because he like jumps up on the stage. He ruins the trick by blasting some air into the fire. It actually ends up looking pretty cool. Uh, Whenever the air hits a fire, somehow it turns into sparkles. Uh, Like last week, I think we saw that when Aang and Zuko fought, uh, air plus fire was explosion. This year, air plus fire sparkles. 
don't know how. Yeah, I guess this um, magician's got some like magical fire in a way because he's able to. His first trick was like making a bunch of doves appear out of the fire, and now he's got yeah. all these sparkles. So maybe he's just got some magical little Fire Nation chemical formula that they're able to sprinkle in their fire, <laughs> like Pop Rocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pop Rocks and Fire would actually be kind of cool. I did enjoy Aang's um, little jig here when the crowd, yeah, yeah. when they're like, it's the Avatar, they just start booing. Like, and then Aang just does a little jig. It reminded me of like when a comedian's bombing on stage and is just like doing anything to get the crowd's like adulation back. And I just found that funny because this isn't the type of humor we've really seen in Avatar The Last Airbender up to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. He gets uh, accused of ruining the trick, and then someone says, hey, that kid's the Avatar, and he's doing like a goofy little dance, and then he immediately has to stop uh, because, you know, uh, they're going to get the rest of the guards. Uh, but luckily, they have this mysterious figure who had made his way all the way to the front, pushed his way in front of the crowd. I'm sure he made a lot of kids disappointed who couldn't see the magic <laughs> trick, but what can you do? This guy... Uh, rolls up and he says, like, hey, follow me. I can get you out of this place. And luckily, there's a nice backstage backstage exit right behind the stage where the magician's performing that was already there. Yeah, pretty opportune little exit they have. And this mysterious hooded figure, he aids them with, I guess, this is kind of rudimentary description on my part, but these little, like, firebombs. I don't know how else I would describe them. It's, like, a very simple way to put it. But, yeah, he's able to, as they're running away, he just has a bunch of these little, like, firebomb grenades that he chucks at the Fire Nation soldiers that are chasing them down. And then, oh, continue. Uh, I think they're more like smoke bombs because like fire bombs would imply like they might like catch someone on fire or explode. But, but and they seem they set the fireworks on fire, do they not? They they do set the fireworks on fire. I was actually going to say that that mm-hmm. makes no sense because I think that these are a bunch of smoke bombs, which that, uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say later like that smoke bombs can't start a fire, but maybe they are fire bombs then. Yeah, I mean, you, you might be right. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't pay as much attention to detail in this scene as I probably should have. But one thing I noticed is like Appa comes in and saves the day because Aang uses the whistle, but then Sokka mm-hmm. comments when they're running away that he's like, Oh, I hope Appa hears this whistle. But then we've seen the whistle be used before. So I'm, I'm surprised like Sokka is still like questioning the whistle's ability. You know what I mean? I just found that yeah. out here. Yeah. So Aang is like, I'm going to, you know, use the bison whistle. Sokka makes that weird remark, which like, I agree. It didn't make a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, you know, uh, Sokka was just worried that, uh, Appa was taking in the sights, maybe listening to some firebender music or something like that. Um, but, uh, Appa is lucky, uh, or I guess the people are lucky. Appa comes yes. in clutch. Uh, he lands down, and as soon as the firebenders have cornered him, Appa comes from above, lands on the ground, and whips his tail to knock the firebenders back. Yeah, and this was obviously Appa coming in clutch, putting the team on his back once again. But I don't understand why Aang couldn't have just done exactly what Appa did and just airbent a huge blast at all of them. Because I feel like he could have easily incapacitated these spear-wielding fire soldiers. Because from what we saw in the Blue Spirit episode, him and Zuko are basically able to two-verse-one-hundred these guys. Like, as we (laughs) talked about in that episode, these spear-wielding guys are like level one grunts in a video. (laughs) Like, they're not really threat so i felt like the like ang didn't necessarily need oppa here like katara and Sokka, like there was no water for katara to bend at these people so i understood that but i just found it kind of odd that they needed oppa to save the day here but yeah he was i still mean able to do it anyways 
Yeah, that's a good point. You know, Aang's there. There's like eight spear people. Like, it's got to be so easy to take them down. Like, yeah, I think Aang, if he chose to, if he puts his mind to it, has defeated these people in about 45 seconds. But, you know, why take away credit from Appa uh, whenever he's there? The worst thing I think that this uh, mysterious person does is he sets off all the fireworks. So as they're flying away, all the fireworks go off. And this is like a terrible thing. Firework shows are supposed to be well-timed. <laughs> they're supposed to, you know, build over time, uh, like start small, end in a big finale. But no, this mysterious figure lights all the bombs or all the fireworks all at once with this bomb. And we see a bunch of fireworks go up all at once. Yeah, I mean, I didn't take as much offense to him setting all the fireworks (laughs) as you seem to have, which is pretty funny. But, like, to me, what was crazy about this is, like, they let this man mount Appa alongside them. And I know he's he's helping them run away from the Fire Nation soldiers. But I just felt like, to me, maybe I'm just such a skeptic. Like, what if this guy's an assassin? And he just hops on Appa and then he reveals himself to be somebody who's, like, wants to kill Aang and abduct him. Like, I don't know. It seemed kind of dangerous to just let this random hooded figure onto Appa alongside with them, but it worked yeah. out. Yeah, it's actually even more surprising because we know that Sokka in the first few episodes was so hesitant to trust Aang, thinking like, oh, you're a Fire, Bit- Fire Nation spy. The Like the uh, second sentence that this person says uh, to the people is like, oh yeah, I was a Fire Nation soldier. So the fact that Sokka's not more uh, sus about this Che character is a little bit surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing really comes of it, though. They land and camp out, and the hooded man, he reveals himself to be Che, a former member of the RP army and a disciple of the deserter Zhang Zhang, a high-ranking firebender who was the first man to leave the army and live. Now, even mm-hmm. we don't need, we don't see Zhang Zhang right away, but this is a pretty, like, hefty introduction we get from him, yes. even without him off screen. What were your thoughts when you heard of this coming yeah, from so- Che? So we see uh, Zhang Zhang and the most wanted poster. We don't know it's him yet, but we see someone mm-hmm. with two marks on his eye uh, and some fancy uh, hair done up in a bun. And then we see this Che guy uh, who says that he's like a man, a myth, a living legend, Zhang Zhang the deserter. And I have to say, uh, Zhang Zhang sounds pretty cool, but I think this Che guy is a pretty awesome follower. Like he's so enthusiastic about Zhang Zhang that I'm like way on board with Che. Did you like Che as much as I did. Yeah, I like Che, and I feel like almost I I felt kind of bad for him. He gets a short end of the stick here. I know they pack up and just leave him, and he's such a loyal follower of um of Zhang Zhang because I liked his yeah. little comment where he's like, "Yeah, I also left the Fire Nation army. I was second to do that. <laughs> you don't get to be a legend for that." And like you could tell, he's still he's content with that, but it's it, it doesn't really bother him. But I just like that little comment from him there. Yeah, like I, I felt a little bit sad for him that no one cares about him because like Jean Jean's like, you know, this super cool, uh, like mysterious, powerful figure. And this guy named Che, who did the exact same thing, he also left the Fire Nation army, gets no credit. He says like, yeah, uh, he, like Jean Jean was the first person to live and leave the army. I'm the second, but you don't get to be a legend for that. And you know what? I think that we need to give more credit to the people who did things second. 
Uh, I was trying to think of things that people have done Buzz second. Buzz Aldrin is that yeah, and one? that's yeah. actually the only one I could think of. Like Buzz Aldrin being the second person to walk on the moon is like the only one. Like I can't think of the second person to fly or the second person to like come up with any invention. Like we got to give more credit to the people who are just a little bit behind the first person. That's true, and I think just with society, it's like a lot of people have the like Ricky Bobby mentality of if you mm. ain't first, you're last. So that's why, sadly, we don't give enough credit to people who finish in second place. Yeah, yeah I well, I agree. With you. Ne- next week, I'm going to come with a few people that got to got a particular accomplishment second, and uh, we can we can give them some praise just uh, just briefly because I feel like yeah, if you do something that's second just because like uh, someone happened to do it first, you should still get some credit. Yeah, and I also like the way Che talks. He almost sounds like just a typical dude bro that you yes. see. He almost sounds kind of like Shaggy, which again is like, we'll see this later in season two with like some of the swamp people and stuff. Maybe that's season one, I'm not 100% sure. But we'll see this with like the swamp people later on, the swamp benders, and they kind of yeah. have that like dude bro, almost stonerish vibe in a way. <laughs> and I kind of like that from Che as well. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's the the second season, but yeah, I think those are those are great characters there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Che. Like, if I'm gonna pick someone to like start a cult with me, like he's the first person I want to be my follower because like he's so enthusiastic. He seems pretty competent, but not like uh, good enough to get people on his side. So I think he's just like he's made to be a follower, and I feel like he needs more credit. I really liked him as a character. Yeah, and he's loyal. He's the number one Zhang Zhang yeah. stand by far. <laughs> like I don't know how much Lin Yi or is <laughs> is a fan of Zhang Zhang or just another loyal disciple, but of the two of them, I feel like Che is the one who's more of a fan. So we'll totally continue here. So Aang is talking. He's delighted that there's a powerful firebender in the area that isn't associated with the Fire Nation army, and he wants to meet him immediately. Get some tutelage. Sokka is staunchly opposed to it, so it's like Katara has to kind of decide what they're going to do. And Katara's like, okay, I, I guess it won't hurt to meet this guy at the very least. Poor Whatever. choice of words, Katara. That will not age well. True, true, true. Uh, yeah, it will hurt Katara, sadly. But uh, they aren't really necessarily given much of a choice because they're immediately ambushed by the aforementioned Lin Yi and these weird-looking tribes folk. Jacob, do you want to describe Lin Yi and his group here? Yeah, like, these people, they they seem like they just, like, chill in the trees. <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't really know what to say about them because... Uh, like what we've seen so far is, uh, like we've seen people that live like in towns and so they have like very distinctive, uh, dresses, but this guy's got like a straw hat. He's got like straw shoulder pads and he yeah, kind of looks like you about that. That must be so itchy and uncomfortable <laughs> to have a straw shoulder pads and straw. Hat. Cause it's not like he's wearing an undershirt. That's his like quote unquote armor and that like rubbing along your skin he must have hay fever horrible allergies rashes eczema he must have a whole <laughs> slew of little ailments from just from the like straw thing he's wearing that's yeah. that my first thought and only like main thought with these people to be completely honest yeah no i totally agree like what i was about to say is that it looks like he just went into the forest picked some stuff up and put it on his body because like it does not look very good i actually think that he does have some like uh actual boots some like real shoes and not like made out of twigs or whatever mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, pretty much everything else is made out of things that he found in the forest. And I totally agree. That's got to be uncomfortable. Uh, you know, Jean Jean gets a robe. This Che guy gets some normal clothes, but 
this Lin Yi character, uh, and the, the few soldiers that are with Lin Yi are just wearing, uh, I guess, like branches, essentially. Yeah. So Lin Yi and his group, they prod them along with spears and they chastise Che for meeting with the Avatar. And Che reassures them that everything's fine and that Lin Yi is an old friend, even as he gets prodded along by himself. And because they tell him, they're like, okay, you have to meet, they tell Che that he has to meet Jiang Zhang alone. While the Ang Ang and Ko cannot meet Jiang Zhang just yet. And yeah, like even in this scene, Che, while he's reassuring them, I just thought like, wow, he's the biggest Jiang Zhang stan ever. I think Jiang Zhang does him a little dirty by leaving him when they pack up and desert <laughs> yeah. the camp. Yeah, because uh, what we hear is like Che, who's about to get in trouble for defying the orders, is like, oh, he's a great man, such a good guy, like, yeah, what a nice exactly. dude. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, totally, totally a follower. Like, I'm telling you, this is the perfect person you want to follow you anytime you can. But yeah, the the next thing that we see is we cut back to the uh, festival town, uh, the town that apparently has so many resources, they can burn puppets, uh, <laughs> they can... They can, you know, waste a fireworks show all at once. Uh, and Admiral Zhao is here uh, saying to the guards, like, oh, so the Avatar is here and you let him slip away. And the guard has no real response. Uh, his only thing that he says is that theft is way down uh, and that the the festival went off without a problem. Uh, yeah, not what Zhao's looking for. Uh, did you think that this guard captain could have done a better job? Yes, but I really like enjoy when the Fire Nation soldiers, these nameless Fire Nation grunts get a chance to speak. I feel like the writers do a really good job with like the comedic dialogue because it's pretty funny. He's like, yeah, there's no fights. Theft was weighed down. And then (laughs) Zhao's like, I don't care about your local crime race. (laughs) I thought the comedic timing here was really well done. I thought the same with the warden way back when, when we talked about it, like episode six, like that, the nameless Fire Nation soldiers in that episode were hilarious as well. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, Admiral Zhao should be excited that the local crime rate is down. I mean, like, why not celebrate this? (laughs) Uh, Like, the small wins are important, too. I feel like this guard isn't getting enough credit. He didn't know that he had to prepare for the Avatar. He just thought he was going to have a normal uh, festival, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, true. So Zhao's pretty pissed off and he immediately starts the hunt for Aang and Team Avatar. And then, so in this next scene, this is where we first get introduced to Zhang Zhang because Che comes up to them and tells them that Zhang Zhang immediately from see- even seeing Aang from a distance is able to tell that Aang has not mastered earth bending or water bending and because of that he will be unable to master fire bending so Che gives them the message that Zhang Zhang has told them to leave immediately which seems like Pretty stirred and aggressive from Zhang Zhang, and especially when he's talking to Aang in this scene. But as we learn in this episode, Zhang Zhang is 100% correct in everything he tells Aang, pretty much. Aang is not ready to learn firebending, and sadly, Zhang Zhang, even against his better wishes, will have to teach Aang, and then he'll be proven right. So, I think Zhang Zhang, while he might be a little prickly on the edges, he is, uh, like, I don't know, correct and in the right in this instance. Yeah, Zhang Zhang's definitely in the right, but it's really hard to understand what he's saying most of the time. Like, I think I'm going to need your help to break this down. Like, my AP English teacher would be disappointed because I did not get the symbol. Uh, s- s- oh my goodness, symbolism. symbolism. Yeah, there we go. That he was using. I was confused. Uh, Aang walks in and he says, "Like, I'd like to learn firebending." And this, the first line that he says is good. Totally understood it. He said, "Only a fool would seek his own destruction." I, okay, got it. 
Got that part. Then Aang says, like, I'm the Avatar. I really need to learn it. And Zhang Zhang goes into this thing about destiny and about a fish and a river and about imagining oceans. Like, can you break this down for me, Zach? Yeah, I'll break it down a little bit. I actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Like, I too took AP English, but I was not the best at, like, reading into metaphors and stuff necessarily. Like, I think I'm an okay writer, but that was never my strong suit. But I did take a note of this. So, Zhang Zhang's point is, like, when a fish lives in a river, it does not know its own destiny at all, and it does not know the river's destiny at all at even though it spends it spend its whole life there. And for me, what I glean from this is like, you can't necessarily assume you know what the future is going to bring in the, in the future on the horizon. And I feel like Aang is just making the assumption that, oh, if I, I'll master every element and decimate the Fire Lord. But Zhang Zhang is like, how can you be so certain of your own destiny? At least that's what I was able to glean from it. It's not the, it's not the most the straightforward metaphor necessarily, but that was the message I got from it. See, I feel like if Aang had uh, some sort of translator there like you to explain him this metaphor, that Aang would be way better. Because Aang, like, he goes forward in the scene and he keeps saying, like, hey, you need to teach me, you have to teach me. Uh, and the whole time, Zhang Zhang's saying things that sound smart but go over my head. But the way you said that there, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so Aang, like, knows that it's his destiny to try to, like, defeat the Fire Lord, but Zhang Zhang's saying that you can't know your destiny because you're in it. Got exactly. It. Yeah. Perfect. And that, that, I think that's, that's what I got for. And Zhang Zhang, I think that even his fish point is correct because when this is a little spoiler, I guess, not necessarily for Korra, but for other avatars like Karuk, the last water bending avatar before Korra, he has an untimely death. He loses mm-hmm. his wife to the face dealer and dies very young. So just because you're the avatar, you can't necessarily make the assumption like, oh, I'm going to defeat the fire alarm, defeat the evil, and everything is going to go right. Because that's not how life works. So, I well, You know that. what, Zach? I'm giving What's you that? a five on your AP uh, <laughs> language. I, I understand what it's saying now. Thank you very much for that explanation. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. I'm, I'm lucky. Like, I actually like have that in my notes. Like, <laughs> I was, that wasn't all, that wasn't an explanation off the dome. Cause I kind of sat and thought, cause I really appreciated this scene. I kind of sat and thought about what Zhang Zhang was saying for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I Zhang think that. Zhang, oh, continue. Yeah, Zhang Zhang goes into some cool stuff here about the different elements. Is that what you're about to talk about? Yeah, and I was about to talk about, like, Zhang Zhang, just, you can get into the element stuff, but I want to say, like, Aang's like, oh, I have to master every bending discipline. And then Zhang Zhang makes that excellent point of, how can you master every bending discipline when you have to master discipline itself? And I think that is a lesson that Aang does need, did need to learn, which he will kind of learn, have learned by the end of this episode after his battle with Zhao. Yeah, Aang is not the most disciplined person. You know, he loves that childhood uh, wonder, and that's that's not something that mm-hmm. uh, is very disciplined. But here I think Zhang Zhang makes a great point about the different elements. Uh, he says that water is cool and soothing, earth is steady and stable, and fire is alive. I feel like that sort of metaphor, uh, or whatever it is, uh, like those like descriptions make a lot of sense to me. I felt like this was a great way to talk about firebending. And I think that this episode is the reason why I'm so drawn to firebending. Like, uh, he says like fire, uh, will destroy and spread even if no one will control it. Like obviously a rock won't throw itself like earthbending, but with rock, uh, w- but with fire, fire can get out of hand. Uh, like it can spread by itself. And I feel like this is like what's so appealing about firebending to me. So I thought this was like a really cool uh, monologue that John John has here. 
Yeah, I agree. I really appreciate I almost wanted to clip a lot of what Zhang Zhang was saying because I thought it was so just like poignant in a way. Like it actually like mm-hmm. Zhang Zhang was making me think in real life, like compared to some of the episodes we've been watching prior to this, I felt like which were more comedic in nature. Like this episode is a lot more serious in tone. And you yeah. can tell that Zhang Zhang is such an impassioned bender and is a true master of his craft. Because even though he's very blunt and aggressive here with Aang, like I said earlier, he's correct. Aang is not ready to learn firebending in this instance. And he's like, he tells him, he's like, you have no interest in learning discipline. And that's why I have no interest in teaching you, which seems harsh, but it's accurate. And that's why I'm actually surprised Roku comes in with the assist here. And though it was extremely badass, like, so what happens is the candles flare up because Zhang Zhang is seated around a bunch of candles. The screen goes completely black. And then we come back to the single lit candle with in front of Zhang Zhang being lit. And Ang has been replaced by Roku. And then Roku essentially just commands Zhang Zhang to teach Ang firebending, which I thought was kind of surprising from Roku here. What did you think of all of this, Jacob? Yeah, I feel like Roku should have Aang's best interest at heart. Uh, I feel like Roku can see far enough ahead or hopefully like could understand that this is not going to be Aang's only opportunity to learn firebending. Uh, and that maybe you don't need to force the issue here because I think that Roku ultimately compels Zhang Zhang to do it against his will. Uh, and I feel like this ends up not being great. Um, it, like it ends up not being good for Aang. Aang swears off firebending at the end of the episode, uh, for a while. And I feel like this is odd because Aang doesn't even seem to have a recollection that his body was taken over by Roku and that Roku delivered this order to Zhang Zhang. Because when Zhang Zhang goes back to the room with a bunch of candles, uh, Zhang Zhang says, yes, I will teach you. And Aang's like, really? That's great. And is like super excited, uh, as if like he didn't know what was about to be happening. I feel like this has happened before, though, Will Aang, where Aang will go into the Avatar state and, like, another Avatar will command him. Like, we'll see you with Kiyoshi later on as well. Mm, and yeah. I don't know if Aang necessarily remembers what he was doing when his body was taken over every time. One thing I wanted to point out here is, like, the music when Roku shows up was amazing. Like, they always have this, like, orchestral, like, almost like choir in the background, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I noticed this in the episode we did where, um, where they, like, there's that door and the, they have to unlock it and then Roku comes out and is like firebending against all the Fire Nation soldiers, against Zhao, all that. And I, yeah, it just reminded me of like a Legend of Zelda theme. There's one in particular, mm, yeah. like maybe it was the Fairy Fountain. I'm not 100% sure, but just the music A plus as always in Avatar. And I thought this scene in particular, I really like the way they set the stage for Roku to make his entrance. But yeah, yeah. so he Roku proclaims that Zhang Zhang will essentially teach Avatar firebending. And this must have been extremely intimidating for Zhang Zhang. Like, you know, like your judge is correct and then you have this like huge hulking spirit appearing in front of you <laughs> telling you like no you're wrong and you're gonna listen to me i've learned this a thousand times in a thousand lifetimes and you're gonna do this like <laughs> so john yeah. jong's kind of stuck between an earth bent rock and a hard place here <laughs> uh yeah so Zhang Zhang decides that he's gonna teach him uh and Zhang Zhang starts with a bit of squats uh a bit of conditioning if you will um, he tells him that he needs to widen his stance, bend his knees, go into a real deep, uh, squat, and then just sit there and, uh, like concentrate, essentially do nothing, uh, and just focus on what he's doing. Zach, how long do you think that you could hold the squat if you had to? barely a minute i don't know yeah. I'm, I'm not in the best shape of my life i remember <laughs> when when i was on the basketball team in high school we had to do this thing called wall sits 
And yeah, those yeah. were not fun where you have to like have your back against a wall and like squat at a, like a 90 degree angle to the floor. And man, even that, like it kills your thighs, everything's burdened, your core, it's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually the punishment in seventh grade when you talked in science class was my teacher made you go outside and do wall sits until she came and got you. And uh, one time I was too talkative and she said I had to do wall sits for the rest of class, which was 20 minutes. I tried my hardest and I couldn't do it. My legs were shaking. Like I was almost crying. It was so painful. So I think for this squat, I would give it about 90 seconds before I quit. Yeah, fair, fair. I'm in a very similar boat as yourself. And then I like, I liked here how he's like, look at, cause he's like telling Ang that he's not supposed to be talking. And then he's like, look at your friend. She's not talking while Katara's like water bending in the distance. And then he's like, even that oaf knows what to concentrate on what he's doing. And what did Sokka does to get, what did Sokka do yeah. to deserve this like reaming from <laughs> Zhang Zhang? Like he actually hasn't done anything uh, up to this point. So. <laughs> Yeah, poor Sokka's just minding his business and gets absolutely destroyed. Um, and then Aang like, doesn't seem to really get it. He doesn't understand why he's concentrating. And this is when Zhang Zhang says that he just needs to understand, uh, like, essentially to like be one with nature and feel the heat of the sun because that's where fire comes from. Uh, so, you know, he's been told to concentrate. Uh, he's not really doing very well. It seems like Aang still does not have this discipline here at all. Yeah, uh, and it's an interesting point he makes about the sun, because this is the first time we hear about this, and these firebenders, like, all of them kind of have this Superman quality to them in a way, where they're more powerful when the sun is more intense, and that's mm-hmm. why I think in season two at the library, Sokka will learn that there's an eclipse that's about to happen, and that's when to strike, because the firebenders will be at their weakest when there's a lack of sun. The day of the black uh, yep. sun, I think, is what they call it. So it's interesting. We get that first little like nugget of information here in the deserter. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's a good point. Uh, the next thing that we see is Ang and Zhang Zhang are walking up a mountain. Ang uh, asks him, "Am I going up here so I don't burn it anything with my big fire blasts?" And uh, Zhang Zhang's disappointed again, so just saying like, "No, you just need to breathe." Uh, and I actually, I'm kind of on Aang's side here. Like, why did he need to climb the mountain to breathe? Like, it seems like you can breathe anywhere. See, I don't, I, I, to me, I'm not necessarily on Aang's side at all here because I feel like Zhang Zhang is a very credible firebending teacher. Like, even if he doesn't necessarily have the best reasoning for why you're doing X action, I feel like you should still listen to him regardless. And that's one thing I noticed with Aang. I feel like maybe we were a little too hard on Aang even last episode. Because the thing is, I don't think Aang necessarily does well with authority in a way. With the uh, airbending monks, like besides Monk Yatso, he didn't get along with any of those elders and even Zhang Zhang like he's like he's like Ang's like you're not even looking Zhang Zhang is like wider and Zhang Zhang's yeah. one of those teachers who's like gruff very straight to the point and it explains everything like in a way that's like very like just dry and blunt compared to compared to Ang who is just like one of those key reminds me like one of those kids in class who has like ADHD and does isn't able to like pay attention to the teacher mm-hmm. But like, so I feel like Aang is almost an abstract learner in a way. Like Aang learns through doing rather than like strict conditioning. And that's why he's butting heads with Zhang Zhang here, I feel yeah, like. And I, I feel like ultimately Aang uh, would be willing to wait and learn these things, but he doesn't see the path to the end. Like he just wants to start shooting fire 
And Zhang Zhang's not really telling him, like, first you do this, then you do this. Like, maybe if Aang got a syllabus with, like, everything he needed to do, then he would be a bit more willing. Like, if he knew, like, okay, shooting fire tips, uh, like, shooting fire out of my fingertips is going to happen, like, you know, two days later after lunch. Like, that sort of thing, I think, would make him a little more amenable to this uh, teaching. Yeah, you're probably right, and that is fair. But so what ends up happening is... Zhang Zhang leaves Aang at the top of this cliff to like breathe for hours. And then after time passes, Aang angrily storms into his tent. He's like, I already know how to do all this stuff. And I just want to learn how to shoot fire out of his fire, out of his fingertips is what he says. Yeah. The, the funniest thing is that Aang says, I've been breathing for hours. And Zhang Zhang's like, you want to stop breathing? Which yes, uh, that's yes, like a I great that cutting remark. Well. That's like yeah. Zhang Zhang's like best line of the episode. It's like most unintentionally funny line. Yep. Uh, definitely. That's a, that's a great one. Uh, and then this is when Aang says, uh, like, I want to learn how to shoot fire. And Zhang Zhang tells him about the story of one of his old pupils who had no interest in discipline. He just wanted to have the power of fire. Uh, he says that he wants to, you know, use the power to destroy instead of realizing that fire comes with a responsibility. It's almost like a, uh, Peter Parker esque with great, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Like having the power of fire means that you can't just go around using it to destroy because it's too easy to, uh, I guess use for destructive purposes rather than productive ones like water bending or earth bending. Yeah, and that's why I really love Zhang Zhang as the character, because he'll talk about this with Katara later. He's conflicted with this, because he says, like, fire is a horrible burden to bear. Its nature is to consume, and without control, it will destroy everything. And I feel like Zhang Zhang does not enjoy that aspect of firebending. Yeah. And, like, in he, he, he laments, like, he wishes he had healing capabilities rather than just these d- abilities that seem only solely for destruction. Yeah, and yeah, then, I agree. And- yeah. And- and then, uh, the, like, as he's saying this, we cut to Zhao on his boat searching for the avatar. A few of these people attack, uh, the, the people with the straw hats and straw clothes attack him. And it looks like, uh, Zhao just went to a gender reveal party because he's burning down the entire forest behind him. <laughs> uh, he shoots fire blasts all around and yeah. leaves destruction in his wake. Yeah, I, w- I was going to mention that as well, because I really like the transition here. Zhang Zhang is like partway through his monologue, and then they transition to Zhao getting these spears thrown at him by Lin Yi and Ko, which is good foreshadowing because it's going to be revealed later that Zhao was actually the former disciple of Zhang Zhang. Yep. And at the end, they, so we cut back to Zhang Zhang and Ang, and Zhang Zhang sternly warns him and says, learn restraint or risk destroying yourself and everything you love. Which Ominous. Is, uh, yeah, it's an ominous lesson here. Yeah, so then uh, later on, we see Zhang Zhang leaves his tent, and we see Aang sitting on the rock meditating. And this is when Aang apologizes, and he says that he'll try to be more disciplined. He'll try to learn from Zhang Zhang. And that's when Zhang Zhang uh, says, okay, it's time to work with fire. Aang shows his immaturity and does a sweet backflip as he celebrates uh, <laughs> learning. This is actually a very impressive backflip. Uh, I know this isn't like uh, super pertinent to the uh, details of the plot, but I was pretty impressed here. I think that Aang could have gone back to the festival and done some flipping and impressed a lot of people. Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't flipping on stage rather than doing his little weird jig yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like you know, the groups of people on the streets that will like jump over a bunch of people uh, that they like get. Yeah, I feel like Aang could do that and impress people like jump over the entire town with his airbending. 
Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And then so what ends up happening here is Zhang Zhang gives Aang a leaf with a little fire burning in the center of it and tells him to not let the leaf, uh, the fire in the middle of the leaf to hit, burn the edges of the leaf, which I think is like an interesting lesson because I'm, I'm obviously we are not benders, but I feel like it must be an arduous tax to be able to control the fire in a way where it can't burn the leaf because you're controlling like such a small amount of fire. Like I feel like this was the mo- the best lesson out of compared to everything else he was doing. What did you yeah, think I- of this? I agree. If I was uh, in this situation, I think I would just go ahead, douse that leaf in some water and be like, done. Uh, the flame is not going to reach the edges. And then I would go back to meditating or doing anything else because this task seems really hard. Yeah, I agree. And the sad thing is Aang doesn't even attempt to do this task. What ends up happening is Zhang Zhang leaves. I think he's notified that like Zhao and them are mm-hmm. on their way to them. So Zhang Zhang leaves and then Aang just like burns up the leaf and creates a little fireball here. And Aang's like, oh, wow, I can create fire and starts like playing with it, almost like dribbling it like a basketball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how else to describe what he's doing here. No, and, that, and that is exactly right. Uh, you know, like a few episodes ago, we've been talking about putting together our basketball team. And I think Aang has great ball handling skills. So I'm excited to have him as our point guard. Yeah, no, Aang's like looking like a Steph Curry and a, or a Trey Young out there oh, yeah. just with his dribbling ability, a Kyrie, if you will. <laughs> but, but then sadly, Aang's not like Aang gets a turnover here and it essentially burns Katara with the fire. Because <laughs> this whole time, Katara's warning him. She's like, I don't know, Aang, if you should be playing with this and blah, blah, blah. And then Aang does not listen and he shoots this huge blast of fire that ends up burning Katara's hands, which is this was like pretty serious, I thought. Like, this is the first time we see anyone in the group really get directly harmed by something. So, we see Katara, her hands burn. She immediately cries out and starts sobbing. And it looks like they look like pretty bad burns. And Sokka immediately, right, when Aang does this, tackles Aang and is, like, very, like, I thought, whoa, this, like, got heavy real quick. Like, what were your thoughts on this whole situation here? Yeah, he gets really mad. Uh, he tackles Aang and, and he's like, you- so, to be fair, like, uh, yeah, Sokka yeah. is allowed to be angry here. Like, Aang did not listen to Zhang Zhang and like, Katara paid the price for it. Yeah, he, he like tackles her and says, like, you burned my sister. And then, uh, cut to commercial. He says the exact same line again, coming back. <laughs> uh, I think that, yeah, this is actually a nice moment from Sokka. Like, he is very protective, especially of Katara, who's his sister. And I think it's nice that, you know, Katara will end up being okay, but Sokka's concern shows that, like, he really does care for Katara. Um, I, I feel like maybe his anger directed towards Aang is a little bit, uh, a little bit premature. Like, maybe you, uh, should, I don't know, give him a little bit of grace. But yeah, like I do like seeing this protective side from Sokka. Yeah, but it's oftentimes I, For me, last episode, why I disliked it so much was because like Sokka being angry at Aang crumpling up the map, like didn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. Whereas this makes complete sense. Like, yeah, even like yeah. he should like, obviously Aang like messed up and is very apologetic, but Sokka's like anger isn't misplaced here. So I at least appreciated that from the writers. And then Aang has no, doesn't really have anything to response. He apologizes. He just profusely apologizes and then Zhang Zhang shows up and tells them they need to leave immediately and then we cut to this scene of Katara soaking her hands in this lake and they're immediately healed and I really like I actually completely forgot about this scene I really like this interaction between Zhang Zhang and Katara what were your thoughts on this whole thing 
Yeah, I like so she puts her hands in the water, all of the burn marks are gone, and Zhang Zhong tellers tells her that she has these healing abilities and lots of powerful people from the water tribe have this. I felt like this is a bit sad that Katara doesn't try to get rid of Zhang Zhong's scars, because he does say like that uh like I think that he's sad that he has this thing, and I think it'd be like sweet if she like tried to do that for him. Maybe maybe that's like a moment that the writers may have missed. But ultimately, like Zhang Zhang laments that uh, water is like something that brings healing and it like has these calm stabilizing properties, whereas fire um, m- makes you like destroy things. I, the best thing that he says is that uh, when you have the power of fire bending, that you have to walk a razor's edge between humanity and savagery. Eventually we are torn apart. And this is sort of the, um, yeah, the, the pain that Zhang Zhang goes through. Yes, because I think, especially in ter- in the scope of the whole Avatar: The Last Airbender universe as a whole, like Fire Na- Fire Nation and like Fire Benders will always like be a part of conflict, whether they're on the right side of the conflict or the wrong side. And I think this is something that Zhang Zhang in particular struggles with. Like he's a very complex character, and I think he's like a firebender who wishes he wasn't a firebender. He wishes he could just be healing and and like chilling essentially. And that's yep. why they, this episode does such a good job painting like the picture of Zhang Zhang and why he does acts the way he does. And you can see why he defected from the Fire Nation army in particular. Like, would yeah. his powerful firebending abilities be of use to the Fire Nation army? Of course, but that's not what he wants to direct his passion to. Yeah, I, I think that Zhang Zhang might be a little bit narrow-sighted, though, because we do see some firebenders who seem to have made peace uh, with their power, and they use their power for, like, good purposes. So, like, Uncle Iroh, uh, obviously, I think, has reached a point in his life where he can rest. He feels like he can, uh, like, be a firebender, but still have, like, the spiritual side of another bending type. And then we see Zuko, who overcomes his firebending uh, and, like, his turmoil that he has, ultimately to be productive and put it towards uses of teaching the avatar and and i think like at the end of the day zuko becomes some sort of like great person uh by making peace so it is unfortunate that zhang zhang's not able to do the same thing i agree with all of that but in zhang zhang's defense in his whole life because he's probably like in his 60s 70s he's got gray Mm -hmm. hair the world has been embroiled in war and the fire nation is essentially waging a genocidal war on everybody else so for him like almost every firebender he interacts with has this like undying devotion to the fire nation even so far as the children in the village were like yay fire lord as a fire lord like the fire lord puppet burns the earthbender at the little puppet show so i think he's just surrounded by like that hive mind mentality of like aggressive fire bending type so i can see yeah. why he struggles with this and one thing is i really like the transition from that savagery line and then as soon as he finishes that line a fire blast like shoots onto the screen in frame so i thought that was an excellent transition on the animator's part and then yep. Zhao wages his attack yeah so we see Zhao and a bunch of boats uh, come up to the waterfront where uh, Zhang Zhang is and Zhang Zhang makes a wall of fire that is very impressive this thing is like maybe a hundred feet high maybe 200 feet across it goes across the entire river and completely blocks off the boat's access to the rest of the river forcing them to dock and take on Zhang Zhang. This is just an example of how powerful Zhang Zhang is. I know we hear about it a lot, but just to see this raw power is cool, to get an idea of where he is. Like, this is like a King Boomy level firebending move. Like, it's very impressive, whereas, like, uh, we hadn't really seen much before, we just heard it. 
Yes, I agree with all of that. And a spoiler alert for season two, if, if people uh, like are averse to spoilers still, uh, Zhang Zhang is actually a member of the White Lotus Society alongside yeah. both Boomy and Uncle Iroh. And I think this is interesting because like we've seen Iroh like have a, a couple of skirmishes here and there, but we haven't really seen like a true act of like huge firebending from a master. And it's like the first instance we really get of that. And I agree yeah. with you. I was very impressed by his wall of fire here. So then what ends up happening is Katara finds Aang in Zhang Zhang's tent and Aang tells her he'll never firebend again and that Zhang Zhang was right. He was not ready. And Katara assures him that he's she's healed and then they run off to go and save Zhang Zhang who's been captured by Zhao's men. Yep. So then uh, the next thing we see is Zhao saying like, oh, my teacher is not going to fight. And this is where we learn that uh, the student that Zhang Zhang was teaching about was Admiral Zhao, the one who only wanted the power and destruction of firebending without accepting the responsibility. Uh, so then Zhao stunts on him a little bit, makes fun of him for being a savage living in the woods. Uh, and Zhang Zhang hits him back with a, uh, no, you're the savage, uh, which it actually sounds pretty cool in the moment, but it's a pretty lame insult. Anytime someone insults you to be like, no, you are, uh, <laughs> I, f- I feel like you, he could have come up I with think something Zhang better. Zhang does have a point. Like these fire and it, like, Zhao pretty much just like seeks to destroy and nothing else because then Zhang Zhang's like you're the one who's embraced savagery and he also he stunts on him even further because he's like you're no match for the avatar Aang has raw power that he's never seen before so Zhang Zhang just from like seeing Aang and training with him for like a very short period of time like on a in a single day pretty much he's able to glean that Aang has not learned water bending or earth bending but he's also able to see that Aang has this extreme raw power and is by far the most powerful bender yeah but world, at, pretty much at, at the same time like i think that john john might say this even if ang was not that good because ultimately this gets in zhao's head and uh, i think that john john knows that zhao will defeat himself uh because like he's so consumed with this power that if you let him like if you give him a hand he's gonna mess up so i feel like john john saying that he's never seen such raw power is as much to get uh, Zhao tilted as it is true about uh, Aang. That is a very good point, honestly. I didn't even think of that, but you're probably right. And then on, honestly, it's all true. Like, I mean, Zhang Yang says he's no match for the Avatar, but it's, it's a fact. Like, we've already seen Zhao lose an Agni Kai to Zuko and like, yep. there's no way Zhao can ever keep up with Aang in a 1v1 one, one one battle, I think. And then we, we pretty much get that, essentially. Because Aang shows up on the scene while Zhang Zhang, surrounded by men, escapes in like a huge ball of fire. He essentially does like his own version of the little magic trick we were seeing earlier from the yeah. magician he just disappears and then this was a good magic trick too because uh, yeah, he no, disappears a without trick. a trace yeah he like engulfs himself in this huge ball of fire and then just boom he's gone and then Aang, yep. the, the thing with ang is like i feel like now at least this episode like last episode i feel like ang barely learned anything from what he was doing his the mistakes he was making whereas this episode at least ang while battling zhao he's able to notice he's like oh zhao lacks self-control and he's actually able to utilize Zhang Zhang's advice from earlier. Yeah. Uh, I think that he does a good job here of exploiting Zhao's um, like want for destruction. Exactly. So 
as as he's fighting, he's also insulting him. And even though Aang doesn't throw any uh, bending blows, he throws a lot of blows to Zhao's ego. So the first shot goes over Aang's head, and Aang's like, whoa, that's a wild shot. And Zhao just screams with anger. And I think this is when Aang gets an idea. He says, uh, oh, like, you've got no self-control, and he starts going onto the boats. Um, here we get, like, a lot of good quips. Uh, I wrote most of them down. Uh, so as Zhao's fighting the Avatar, he says, like, stand up and fight me. Uh, Aang says, oh, we're fighting? I thought you were getting warmed up. And he just starts shooting more and more fireballs. And this keeps going on throughout the entire sequence. Uh, uh, my, what what my, did you think? Yeah, what yeah, do you think my, about all these? My favorite of the quips was what it was just like, wasn't necessarily the quip itself, but just the image of like, Aang is like shaking his ass at Zhao. And he's like, oh, boy, <laughs> I'm Admiral Zhao. Which is like, yep. <laughs> it's like the most like comical, like dumb character. Like, how could, like, it was so stupid, honestly, that like Zhao is dumb for even being insulted by that. Like, if someone like <laughs> shaking their ass, like, ahoy, I'm Zach the podcaster. I would not be insulted. I would just start laughing. You know what see, I mean? See, and so that's. It's such a juvenile insult. See, that's why you're not the firebender. If someone did the same thing to me, I would, uh, you know, throw <laughs> throw my computer at him and you know, wreck my house. Uh, obviously, yeah. I'm I'm just joking there, but no, yeah, course, I think he he's got lots of jokes. Uh, yeah, I think his one of my favorite things that he says is, "Oh, they'll make anyone an admiral these days," which is just like, uh, yeah, he's so proud of being an admiral that he's uh, pretty annoyed by that. Uh, he also says, like, I don't know why, but I think you'd be better than Zuko. And that really tilts him a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, so as as Aang is delivering all these quips, Zhao is getting more and more tilted. And while he's doing that, Aang's, like, jumping back and forth on all the Fire Nation ships. And while evading Zhao's attacks, he's able to get Zhao to pretty much destroy his whole fleet that he came on, uh, to this village with. So, and then Aang, like, essentially just leaves and is like, oh, have a long walk home. And it's like, Zhao just just screams in a primal rage surrounded by all his ships burning. Yeah, the line uh, that he says is, um, Aang tells him, you've lost this battle. Zhao says, are you crazy? You haven't thrown a single blow. Aang says, no, but you have. Zhang Zhang said you have no restraint. And that just tilts him beyond belief. He screams again. And uh, yeah, Aang really beat him in this battle without throwing a single blow. Uh, very impressive. This is one of the Avatar fights that, although the actual fighting is not that interesting, really sticks with me. I think that this shows that Aang is not only creative in how he bends, but in how like he approaches situations and fights as well. Yeah, and Aang has such an adaptable fighting style, I feel like. Because then with airbending, especially with his brand of airbending, he can, like, go full offense or full defense. And in this mm -hmm. battle, he's, like, fully defensive, just evading every attack. And even the way he evades, like, at one point, he has a single finger on the ground, his, like, legs up in the air, and he, like, airbends a little spiral underneath himself. So, yeah, I think I, I love the way, like, that's why to me, I'm not an airbender. I'd be lying if I said it was, but airbending to me is always, like, the most interesting power to watch in battle and i love the what they do with ang in all of these yeah. fights and i agree with you even though the actual combat itself was not necessarily interesting i was still invested in this battle and intrigued by what was going on nonetheless yeah i agree uh so then ang and Sokka and katara all jump on appa's back and they fly away uh just then um, Aang asks, where do they all go? And Sokka says they disappeared. Uh, and Che walks back in and is confused. Uh, che, I guess, did not get the memo. 
Uh, hopefully he knows a rendezvous plan because everyone left. And I guess he thinks it's a joke. And maybe like they've played this joke on him before where they all hid. Cause he was like, Oh, very funny. Like come out. Uh, but no one's there to be seen. I wonder what Che was doing though. Like, didn't he get the message that like Zhao and Cole were attacking? <laughs> was he just in the bushes smoking some of that grease berry cooked? Like, what was he doing? Here? <laughs> like, I, Cause I don't understand. Like, but you, like Ling Yi and Cole like warn Zhang Zhang. And then Zhang Zhang warns like Ang Sok and Katar. So like, what was he doing this whole time? Like for the past two hours when this battle was being waged. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, my guess is that he was on a little bit of grease berry bramble. If uh, if I had to make a guess, <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, I still think the Zhang Zhang and like Lin Yi and all of them did him dirty by just leaving him here. But yeah. I also think he should have been a little more aware. Yeah, that's true. Uh, then, as we're looking on uh, Appa's back, we see that Aang was burned during the fight. Uh, I didn't see when he was during, but there are lots of fireballs in his way, and it looks like he's burnt on his arm a bit. Uh, Katara offers to help him and heals Aang's arm, and Aang is very impressed. And yeah, uh, now like it's revealed that Katara has this healing ability, and she's able to, uh, you know, heal these uh, wounds that Aang has. And Sokka's is a little bit upset because uh, she was not able to do that when they were kids. Yeah, and then he talks because this is where I got the grease berry from. Yeah. I had it on the mind because he laments. He's like, "Oh, you didn't heal me when I fell into the grease berry bramble, or got bit by the mink snake, or the time I got two fish hooks in my thumb." And then the episode ends with just like Sokka lamenting about all the times he was injured and Katara didn't heal him. Yep, and that's uh, that. Yeah, there you go. What are your thoughts on this episode as a whole, Zach? Yeah, honestly, I really like this episode. I can't, honestly, I, I probably like it even more coming off the heels of the dumpster fire of an episode last <laughs> week, if I'm being honest. So yeah. overall, I really enjoyed it. I think Zhang Zhang is a very complex character compared to a lot of the side characters we've gotten prior. Like, I think, like, even Boomy and Haru, while they were great side characters, their, like, motivations were, like, pretty simple, more or less. Whereas Zhang Zhang is very complex, like, troubled character in a way who's who even in his old age struggles with the pros and cons of firebending so i really appreciated him and his tutelage with both ang and katara to a lesser extent and i really enjoyed this episode overall as a whole because of that what about you yeah i think that uh what you say is completely accurate i think that Zhang Zhang is an interesting character the way that he talks about firebending and the different elements is really, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting approach to this. I think this episode really got me into the series a lot more where you think more about like the spiritual, spirituality, the sort of burden of being a bender. Like to me, it all seemed like upside, but now here, uh, Zhang Zhang talks about the burden of fire bending and it really like humanizes these people a bit more. And I think it makes Admiral Zhao a bad guy just in time for the series one finale, uh, season one finale. And I think that that is like all great parts that this episode does. This episode felt a little bit quick to me. Uh, maybe there weren't like, um, yeah, like we didn't get a ton of, uh, like B plot, I guess. Like it's mostly just Zhao and Aang. We get nothing with Zuko. Uh, so I think that this isn't like a perfect episode of Avatar, but it's way better than the episodes we've gotten the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I co-sign all of that. Cool. So then, do you um, want to do we get into our episode rating here? Feedback. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into the episode rankings first, since we're already talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give this episode a three point one. I think that it is uh, definitely much better than last week, which I was very down on. 
but I don't think that it's like the perfect episode. I think there's um, ways to go up from here. The audience is right next to me at a 3.06. Lots of threes this week. Uh, where are you, Zach? I'll go a little bit higher. I'll give it a 3.3 repeating out of four. So <laughs> All right. I think like, good. this was a lot more enjoyable than last week. Last week, honestly, I should have given it a two or like a 1.5 or something. I give it a 2.4. In hindsight, should have given an even lower score. Oh, well, what can you do? Yeah. Just keep on moving forward. No regrets. But yeah, I'll give it a 3.3. Overall, solid episode. I think it's a lot better than even like, I think we we're in kind of a little rough patch with like Bato, the Water Tribe, the Fortune Teller and i think now that this like is an episode that is a lot better than those two in that regard so yeah yeah, 3.3 yeah uh that'll make this episode average a 3.15 it is almost one whole point better than the last episode uh that's pretty embarrassing i knew that the last episode was failing but even like a good episode of avatar like this episode's not perfect by any means season two's uh, has some real gems in there even this episode is like a point better uh, so yeah, I, I think that just proves how bad uh, Bottom of the Water Tribe is. Yeah, I'm going to poo-poo on the Bottom of the Water Tribe a little more because I like coming into this rewatch podcast, everyone's like, oh, The Great Divide's the worst, the worst, the worst. But then I watched The Great Divide, and on a rewatch, I thought it was enjoyable enough. It wasn't the best episode of Avatar. It was kind of just filler, but I thought it was good filler and like better filler than I've seen in a lot of mm-hmm. other like anime and stuff like that. Whereas Bottom of the Water Tribe, like it was just unenjoyable <laughs> like relative yeah. to everything else. Like I'm surprised the online community like the avatar those have been subreddit and stuff seem to have such vitriol of the great divide where i feel like that vitriol is misplaced and should be pointed at bottle of the water tribe yeah. but well i think bottle I think Bado of the Water Tribe actually has the lowest IMBD rating by just just a hair. So maybe uh the oh, larger community cool. yeah. is a bit more uh low on that one. Yeah, so, as uh, they should be. Well, <laughs> as they should be. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally agree there. Yeah. Now let's get into our uh, battle of mm-hmm. the battle rankings. I think uh, we the only battle we have this episode will be Zhao defeating himself. Um, I don't really think that the escape from the firebending festival really counts. I agree. I agree. Cool. So what do you want to give this battle out of four, Jacob? Um, I think I'm at a 3.3 on the battle. Uh, I think what holds it back is there really is like, it's just Zhao. It's just him beating himself. And instead of getting something, uh, where we see like some sort of new type of firebending, we just see, uh, yeah, like interesting tactics from Aang. I think it's a really, de- uh, defining battle. I think this like shows how Zhao is too headstrong and Aang is really creative. Uh, but it, it, it's limited by the fact that it is totally one-sided. Uh, yeah. And for say? that reason, I'm a little lower on it. So I gave it a three out of four. So it's kind of like the okay. opposite of our episode rating scores. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I did enjoy it. I thought the humor was funny. I liked Aang shaking his little tushy at Zhao and like little tushy him in a way. For 12 years old, Aang is packing. I sp- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm not going to touch that with a yeah, let's, let's move on. We're just going to move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> you want to get into episode feedback here? Uh, yeah, let's get away from that comment yeah. for sure. Uh, so, uh, as uh, always, you can write in at avatar, uh, or yeah, at avatar at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, don't know why that was so hard to say, uh, but you can always write in there or at postshowrecaps with your feedback for the episode. Uh, what do you want to tackle first, Zach? Um, yeah, so I guess we can tackle the feedback here. I don't see any feedback from, uh, your beloved. 
Interesting. Uh, no, she, she wrote in, um, a question, I believe. Maybe she. Oh, maybe I just, maybe I just didn't get it. So if you want to just, oh, I actually got sent to my wrong folder. Again oh, I thought you. potentially she just, uh, emailed me, which, uh, you know, it would get here eventually, but. No, 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 that's okay. fair. No, I got it actually. I just okay. found it. Now. Thank goodness. Well, Sarah asked, uh, what the fire flakes are made of. I think that we determined it's made out of, uh, some sort of ghost pepper stuff. Yes. She also yes. asked if we could try and hold the squat for the entire podcast. Zach, what do you say next week we uh, do a squat podcast? I say hell no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how more bl- I'm going to be Zhang Zhang here. I'm not going to be as artful with my words, but I'm going to be blunt and straight to the point. There's no way I can hold a skill. I get sore like sitting on my ass. Like sometimes I don't even have good back support on this chair. So I can imagine holding a squat <laughs> for this podcast. No way, Jose. See, I was thinking that our podcast would be the shortest one ever. Uh, we might not even get past the introductory banter, uh, if we have to squat the entire time. So, uh, Sarah, I'm sorry, but that, that's a no can, that's a no for me. Yeah. Um, and then, so I see Lydia's here. So she liked the episode three cabbages and she asked this question. If Admiral Zhao had taken three seconds to listen to the soldiers about local crime rates, he would have realized that the long-term city priorities have more to do with reducing theft than building flame resistant watercraft. Not everyone has the resources for iron ships, Zhao. Get with it. Cheers, Lid. <laughs> that's not really, that's not really a question from Lydia. It's more of a statement, which I, yep. I agree with. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to poo poo on it, but. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it seems like Lydia here is writing in and she's saying that, uh, the city guard that's caring about the crime rate and the fact that they're just burning puppets left and right means that they can't get flame resistant boats, even though they're firebenders. Uh, yeah. Not so much a question, but, uh, funny nonetheless. Yeah, and like I always say, like you and Lydia do such a good job, like noticing these little things that I wouldn't even have otherwise noticed. And I think that's what I like both you and her bring to this podcast that I do not. Yeah. Um, Felipe wrote in and he said, I know Aang is 12 and we probably didn't listen to our elders when we were children, but we weren't annoying and rude as children, right? Why is be, why is Aang being awful lately? I don't like this. Uh, so, Zach, do you think that you were annoying and rude as Aang when you were 12? See, I kind of disagree with a lot of what Felipe says here because I think every kid is annoying and rude. As a, like, even when I was 12 years old, did I see myself as annoying and rude? Not necessarily, but 12-year-old kids are not self-aware. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. To, to, they might not feel annoying and rude, but to some people, they definitely will be annoying and rude. For me, I was the type of person like... In my house, my parents were pretty strict, so I behaved pretty well at home. But when I got to school, I was kind of like you. I talked a lot or get in mm-hmm. trouble here and there, had a big mouth. So, of course, I would like I probably was annoying and rude to at least my teachers and stuff at that age. What about yourself, Jacob? Yeah, I, this is a bit embarrassing. Uh, but that science class I was talking about earlier, <laughs> I, I remember during the podcast that one day I had a competition with one of my friends to see who could get kicked out of class the earliest in the week. Uh, so one day I walked in right after the bell rang. I said, uh, Hey, teach, I'm late. She said, Leave the room. I said, 12 seconds, I win. And I gloated to my friend about getting kicked out. That got me in quite a bit of trouble. And I have to say that Aang did nothing close to that. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that Aang is not too bad. He has the responsibility of saving the world on his back. And I just had seventh grade math homework. So, uh, I think we got to give Aang a little bit of a break here. A little bit embarrassing for me. Uh, I did go back and apologize to the teacher when I was That's in ninth good. grade, uh, after I realized how much of a jerk I had been. 
but yeah, uh, I definitely think that Aang deserves a break. We're all probably annoying at that age. Yes, exactly, exactly. And while we're here, I'll give a little seventh grade story that you just reminded me of. So when I was in seventh grade, I moved from a public elementary school. I was initially in a private Muslim school. And like it was really like almost culture shock in a way moving to a public school. But one thing is our teacher was pretty strict, but our class was like really misbehaved. And I was mm-hmm. so the first day, it was a Friday and like we ended class at 1 p.m. And I'll, or the, the, uh, we, uh, Friday, we would go out early, like from school. And I was like, oh, when's lunch? And then she was like, there is no lunch today, Zach. <laughs> just like, I was like, my bad. How the hell am I supposed to know that? <laughs> I remember another time, like the whole class was like yelling and talking. And I was just sitting in my chair and I had like some tinfoil from lunch. And I shot it like a basketball in the garbage <laughs> while I was like talking and yelling. But it missed. And I'm pissed off. I was the only one who got in trouble. And I wasn't even talking. I was just chilling by myself, shooting this tinfoil in the garbage. <laughs> she was like, Zach, how could you shoot this tinfoil thing? So I was not <laughs> the most well-behaved student. So yeah, I can't, I can't criticize anybody else for that. Stuff. That's that's true. Yeah. Uh, last thing that we have, Maria wrote in and she said that Zhang Zhang does not give fire enough credit. It's not just destructive. It can pe- keep people warm, cook food, fuel transportation and all sorts of good stuff. I think this is something that we talked about with uh, Chappelle as well, like using our fire bending to do daily household chores. Uh, so yeah, I think that, um, again, not so much a question, but Maria is completely right here. Uh, I think that firebending can have lots of productive uses. Uh, what do you think, Zach? I agree. Maria is correct, but I think to Zhang Zhang's like mentality and his mindset from what his whole life, like firebending has essentially only been used to destroy in a way. Yeah. Like sure, they use it to fuel ships and like to do household stuff and all that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just been used to destroy and take over and conquer. And that's where I think he struggles with this relative to all the other firebenders who seem okay with like the destruction and conquering. So I can see it from Zhang Zhang's yep. point of view as well. Yeah, uh, makes sense to me. Well, that's all the listener feedback we have for this week. As always, you can write on at avatar at postshowrecaps.com or tweet at us at postshowrecaps. We do love the feedback. Um, yeah, and then we can also give us a five-star rating on postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. There you'll get our own feed. So, yeah, you slap, give us those five-star ratings, please. Slam them. Slam five stars. Uh, awesome. The last thing we have this week is the T Quartet. Uh, as a reminder, we're doing the Disney princesses. We're in week two of three of the Disney princesses. This week on the docket, we have Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, and Mulan. I would say the best Disney movies. They're also the Disney movies I grew up with, so I'm probably biased. Yeah, I had a lot of these on VHS. I've seen them all a bunch. I think out of these four, my favorite growing up was probably Mulan. What about yourself, Jacob? Uh, okay, yeah. I, I think um, I think my favorite's probably Beauty and the Beast. It's hard for me to remember if uh, I liked it as much before I saw the musical. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think that the Beauty and the Beast musical is like totally amazing uh the way that the beast like transforms back into a human is so cool i got to see it on tour when it came through dallas uh so i think that that one's my favorite there um i'm a big musical theater fan and i think that the beauty and the beast musical is really well done all right. Well, I'm not the biggest musical fan myself, as we've talked about on the yep. podcast before. Like, I've just never seen any. So I'll be interested in that. Maybe if the pandemic ever 
and then we can go back to normal lives. If I ever come to Chicago or anything, we can all yeah. go see a musical. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, hopefully the Beauty and the Beast is touring. Or maybe they make Avatar The Last Airbender musical. That'd be that'd fun. That'd be interesting. Just the Ember Island players strolling through yeah. town. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd, I would <laughs> love the that. the boy in the iceberg, their hit play. But yeah, let's oh, get man. into this T Quartet. I think I want to start with Pocahontas because to me, she was the easiest to slot in. I'll be honest. I struggled with everybody else. Last week was actually easier. Mm-hmm. But this week, I think Pocahontas is clearly the airbender. Out of these four, she's by far the most spiritually at one with both nature and herself. She's able to commune with these spirits. She's able to talk to like this old lady tree spirit that reminded me of my grandma when I was a kid. I was like, this tree spirit kind of like looks like my grandmother in a way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think like her closest uh, like person that she trusts is the grandmother willow tree, which is a tree spirit. Uh, Like I think that uh, you know, her like song is like paint with all the colors of the wind. I feel like she is the free spirited uh, person and I feel like, yeah, she is the airbender of this group. Um, I feel like this group compared to last week is so much more, um, like free spirited, willing to go on adventures. They take things into their own hands. They're very determined. And I feel like that gives these characters so much more life. So I am excited that we're talking about characters. I like I, I so agree. Much they're more. way better characters, but because of what you just said, because they're all so similar in that regard, they're so confident and willing to rebel and fight. I, I struggled putting them into bending classes for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I think the next easiest one might be Mulan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mulan, uh, you know, she takes her father's place uh, and goes and fights in a war. Uh, she totally breaks the uh, mold of a typical young Chinese girl of that time. And instead of like relying on, you know, her natural beauty and letting her father fight uh, in the war, she takes it on for herself. She takes this responsibility. She so- shows that she's uh, courageous uh, she shows that she's willing to step out, show that adventure, be ambitious, be impulsive. And I think that's what makes her the firebender. It helps that her uh, animal companion is also a dragon, which is the firebender spirit guide. Yeah, Mulan will take her father's place in the war and basically become this like extremely powerful war warrior who's able to battle with this leader of the Huns who's based I forget his exact name off the top of my head, but he's like they're the Mulan world's version of Attila the Hun or like Genghis mm-hmm. Khan essentially. And she's able to battle with him and like yeah, she just Mulan does not care about your our dated gender norms at all she's an extremely all. powerful badass female she's able to take her father's place and like the fact like she's able to pretend to be a man and keep up with all these dudes so yeah i, I agree i think she, having her as a firebender makes sense it also helps that like she has she's from china she has a chinese dragon motif and all those themes are prevalent both in avatar and in mulan so yeah, yeah. i think having her as a firebender makes a lot of sense it's the last two i was struggling with the most person Personally, so I'll let you walk me through these last two people. Yeah, so I think next we'll do my favorite, Belle. And I think Belle here is the waterbender. What separates her from Jasmine in being the waterbender is I think that Belle has a lot more compassion. Not only does she take her father's place whenever she's captured or whenever he's captured by the beast, but she also puts her own uh, safety on the line whenever Gaston is trying to take down the beast. And she's able to love uh, and care for this person that looks so hideous. I feel like this selflessness, 
Um, and this compassion makes her the waterbender. Uh, I also think that she's like very curious. Um, so I think like maybe that could be like, uh, seen as maybe like an earthbender, like type of intellectual, like from, uh, like one of the earthbender cities. But I really feel like the compassion that she has is the defining trait that separates her from the other Disney princesses. And that's why I have her as the waterbender. Yeah, and I think like we talked about last week, waterbending is the element of change. And with her, she's not scared of the beast and she's willing to like grow and adapt alongside him and is able to eventually fall in love with him and break the curse and then they'll live happily ever after. But the fact that she was even willing to like attempt to grow and develop with the beast and like essentially be very adaptable. Yeah, I think having her as a waterbender makes sense here. I just struggled because it's like she's so studious and intellectual, I thought, especially when I was reading. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot, like, she does all this research, reads all these books, even, like, one of the first scenes of the movie is, like, her returning a book and getting a new one. So, I was like, what bending class is, like, really embraces intellectualism and, like, individuality in that regard? And that's kind of what I struggled with, because, like, I don't know, like, firebending, waterbending, earthbending, like, which bending group really captures that? I'm yeah. not necessarily 100% sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that the person that she, uh, like most resembles might be like the Tinkerer's kid in the next yes. episode. So yes. like, uh, her father's like, you know, an inventor we'll see next week, uh, in the Northern air temple that we get introduced to a tinker of sorts. And I feel like, you know, being that person's kid, uh, is probably the most accurate person, mm-hmm. like most similar in the avatar universe, but I have her as the waterbender. Uh, that leaves Jasmine as the earthbender. Uh, I think that Jasmine, the reason why she is more earthbender to me is that she does have this daring, fearless, uh, headstrong behavior. You know, she really can hold her own, even though she's a princess in the streets uh, while she runs around with Aladdin. And I feel like it's this confidence uh, and this independence that makes her an earthbender. I feel like she's willing to take on uh, these adventures and like go on, uh, yeah, like many adventures with Aladdin, uh, despite being under like the, the comfort and safety of being a princess. She, gets out and is her own yeah, person. Yeah, I agree with all that. And like the four princesses we've talked, like the other three we talked about today, she's very confident and yes. uh, she understands herself very well. And she's not afraid of anything. She's fearless. She's able to like seduce Jafar and yeah. like eventually help Aladdin vanquish him. She just has no fear. She's willing to jump into these situations head first. For that reason, almost like part of me was like, oh, she's kind of firebender-ish in I know. a way yeah. as well. So it's like, but I think of the two, like Milan is more clearly a fire firebender and yeah i think having jasmine as an earthbender makes sense here she's strong she's like a good root for like their group and yeah no i think her having her as an earthbender makes perfect sense awesome well there you go so what we have is pocahontas which by the way is a really hard name to spell uh, i messed it up so many times but- really so how, how do you spell uh, i don't want to see if i spelled it correctly in my notes i probably didn't i spelled it p-o-c-h-a-h-o-n-t-a-s is that correct um, P-O-C-A-H-O-N-T-A-S. No, there's a, oh, there's a C-A-H. Yeah. Oh, I didn't that, know that. That's wow. how, that's where, that's where I mess it up is the C-A-H. Yeah. Same, same, same. Oh, yeah. So guess I was wrong too. Yeah. It, like, that's a, a hard polka, one. Mocha. That's why. Yeah. Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, I'm right there with exactly you. But no, uh, Pocahontas, the, yeah, harder name, hardest name to spell of these four is the airbender, we have Mulan as the firebender, Belle as the water, and Jasmine as the earth. Next week, the last four are going to be Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida, and Moana. 
Spoiler alert, I've seen none of those movies, so I'll try to watch them in the upcoming week. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I was doing a lot of community binging yep. in preparation for my community rewatch, which should be up, and that was a lot of fun with um, Jess and Brooklyn Zed and Josh and all of them. But yeah, I'll have a little more time on my hands, so I'll definitely try to get those. I'll try to watch those movies for sure, because I hear they're all good. So Yeah, uh, I think that all of those movies are great. Tangled is one of my favorites. I think Princess and the Frog is also great. Honestly, I'm about to say they're all great, because I love them all <laughs> so much. No, um, I, hear, I hear good yeah. things about all of them. I just It's because I was a little older when they all came out, and it's mm. like, okay, when is there like a time where, like, okay, I'm going to sit and watch a princess movie today like there, there never really was that moment in my adolescence and like from then till now whereas yeah. when, I'm a, when I was a kid I was like yeah I'll watch anything pretty much but yeah now I'm a little more open minded than I was when I was in my teens so I'm excited I'll definitely watch at least a couple of them for sure sweet sweet awesome yeah. well that's what we have this week uh, as always uh, tweeted us at post show recaps or write in avatar at post show recaps dot com and slam those five stars Zach where can they find you yeah, you can find me at Zach Muhammad 32 And like I always say, me and Jacob, we really appreciate any feedback you guys sent in, send in. I know Maria is an avid feedback sender. Felipe, we've gotten feedback from like Aaron and Daniel as well. Like so many of you guys, we appreciate almost all the feedback we get. So thanks yeah. to everybody who's listening to our little rinky dink avatar, the last airbender podcast. We appreciate all of y'all. And where can they find you, Jacob? They can find me at JK Redman and totally echo what Zach says. Uh, thank you so much for joining Team Avatar Podcasting and being along for the ride on Appa's back. Yeah, and on that note, stay safe and peace out, everybody. See you next time. Bye. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.